This evening we're continuing our overview of the Old Testament book titled Esther. With this as the focus, I'd like you to open your Bibles now to Esther chapter 4. And as you make your way to the fourth chapter of Esther, well, I just want to take a moment to remind you that this book is focused on a young woman named Esther. And Esther was the daughter of a Jewish couple who had been brought to Babylon during the days of Judah's captivity. And it was during their days in captivity when Esther's parents passed away. And it was at that point in time when she was adopted by a relative named Mordecai. Uh, And I just want you to think about that for a moment as we consider who this girl was. Esther was not only the daughter of slaves, but she was adopted by another Jewish relative who had also been carried away into captivity. And let's not forget that she was living in a patriarchal society which provided more rights for Persian men than it did for women. And with all that being the case, uh, we can be certain that Esther was a young woman who was free from every secular privilege. She was free from every secular privilege. And at the same time, she was also a Jewish woman who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And as a result, the Lord ended up exalting her by enabling her to become the queen of Persia. It was in that position of power where the Lord used Esther to save the Israelites who were still living in the Persian Empire. And in light of her example, we can see how God is able to take insignificant people and use them in significant ways. Now, before I get too far ahead of myself, I should take a moment to remind you that it was actually in our last study when we learned about the evil scheme of an Amalekite man named Haman. And after receiving a political promotion, Haman then expected every citizen to bow down before him. But rather than bowing down before Haman, that's when Esther's adoptive father, Mordecai, he refused He refused to bow down before Haman, and it's for this reason that Haman then sought the king's permission to exterminate all of the Jews living in the Persian Empire. And with all of this in focus, I want to pick up our study now of Esther chapter 4. If you would look with me there, beginning at verse 1, here we read, When Mordecai learned all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. Now here in the beginning of this chapter, we find Mordecai responding to the report regarding the king's command. And I'll remind you, it was back in chapter 3. That's where we learned about the day when a letter from the king was sent to all the provinces of Persia. And the letter literally directed the people of Persia to destroy, kill, and annihilate all of the Jews on the 13th day of the 12th month. Well, according to the request of Haman, the Persians were also encouraged to plunder the possession of God's chosen people so that this could be committed into the treasury of the king. And after hearing all this news, that's when Mordecai tore his clothes and then put on sackcloth and ashes, and then went out into the midst of the city. Now, as we consider this response, it'll help you to know uh, that it was customary for the Israelites to tear their clothes as an outward sign of their inner grief. For example, David tore his clothes when, uh, when he learned that Saul and Jonathan had been killed. The prophet Elijah uh, tore his clothes when Elijah was taken up into heaven. 
Job tore his clothes after learning about the death of his sons and daughters. And Paul tore his clothes when the people of Lystra began to worship him. In light of these examples, we can see that Mordecai tore his clothes uh, so that the people could see the grief that he was feeling. And not only that, but we also learn here that he put on sackcloth and covered himself in, in, in ashes. And just for the sake of clarity, it'll help you to know that sackcloth was that coarse material typically made of black you know, goat's hair. Uh, and it was uh, the material that was oftentimes used for making sacks. And so you know, it was extremely uncomfortable to wear. It was durable material, but uh, not soft like Egyptian cotton. And with that being the case, you know, sackcloth was worn by those who wanted to demonstrate their mourning or their repentance. As for the ashes, well, this was a symbol of desolation and ruin. And so Mordecai not only wore sackcloth, but he also covered himself with ashes as he went into the midst of the city and openly wept uh, with great bitterness. We should also notice that he wasn't alone in this. As a matter of fact, it's there in verse 3 where we learn that uh, Jewish people throughout the entire province uh, of Persia, they began to fast, they began to weep with wailing and great mourning. And many of them wore sackcloth and ashes as they lay prostrate upon the ground. And as we consider the way that the Jews wore sackcloth and ashes, uh, it's also interesting to note that many of the prophets also wore sackcloth as they set out to accomplish their calling. For example, the prophet Daniel wore sackcloth as he prayed to God, and the prophet Isaiah wore sackcloth as he prophesied. The, the, the prophet Jeremiah also wore sackcloth in, in, in the days of his ministry. And, and then the greatest prophet born of men, John the Baptist, uh, also wore sackcloth. Oh, and then there's the two witnesses that we find in Revelation chapter 11. You know, when those two witnesses finally arrive, they will also be clothed in sackcloth as they prophesy during the time of the Great Tribulation. Now, as we consider the way that many of the Lord's messengers have clothed themselves with sackcloth, well, it seems to me that Mordecai was not only wearing sackcloth as a symbol of his grief, but he was also preparing to proclaim the prophetic word of God to Esther. And in that sense, it seems to me that he wore sackcloth uh, as a sign of, of his prophetic uh, ministry here. In order to prove my point, let's continue to consider the account that we find here in Esther chapter 4. If you would look with me there beginning at verse 4, here we learn that Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her, and the queen was deeply distressed. Then she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and take his sackcloth away from him, but he would not accept them. Uh, now, here in these verses, we find Queen Esther. She's learning about the mourning and the weeping of Mordecai. And it was at that point in time when she tried to comfort him and console her adoptive father. But rather than receiving the royal garments from Esther's servants, Mordecai rejected the garments and continued to cry out all the more. Now, I have no doubt that Esther was truly trying to help her adoptive father by giving him these new garments and in similar fashion, listen, we oftentimes make the same mistake as we try to encourage those who are mourning. You know, we, we, we've come across someone who's in mourning, you know, and we try to encourage them by reminding them that God works all things together for the good of those who love God and called according to his purposes and these sorts of things. And we start quoting all of the, all the best verses on, on why someone shouldn't mourn. And please hear me when I tell you that there is a time to mourn. That's what the scriptures tell us. There is a time to mourn. There's nothing unspiritual about, about you know, spending time in mourning. And there is a time for us to grieve over the heartbreaking things that happen here in this world. 
Therefore, rather than trying to remove someone's sackcloth, so to speak, we should instead learn how to grieve with those who grieve. This was precisely the point that Paul was making in Romans chapter 12. It's verse 15 where he declares, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Weep with those who weep. He doesn't say rejoice with those who weep or take those who are weeping and try to get them to rejoice. No, he simply says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. When we come across those who are mourning and weeping, the compassionate Christian will commiserate with them as we weep with those who weep. This was the example that the Lord Jesus demonstrated when he saw Mary mourning the death of her brother Lazarus. Rather than trying to cheer her up with encouraging scriptures from the Bible, Jesus simply wept with her. He wept with Mary. And in light of his example, we too should learn how to weep with those who weep. Well, to be fair to Esther, she didn't really know why Mordecai was weeping. And it's for this reason that she sought to discover the reason for his grief. As a matter of fact, let's pick up our study of Esther chapter 4, beginning there at verse 5. Here we learn that Esther called Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, whom he had appointed to attend her. And she gave him a command concerning Mordecai to learn what and why this was. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the city square that was in front of the king's gate. Now here in these verses we find Queen Esther. She's attempting to understand why her adoptive father was out weeping in the middle of the street. And with that being the case, we can also be certain that she didn't, uh, you know, uh, that, that she didn't yet know about the decree of the king. The news of this decree, which gave all of Persia the right to purge the Jews from their land, she had not yet heard about this. And, and, and so she didn't know why Mordecai was crying and weeping and, and, and bitterly you know, sitting in, in sackcloth and ashes and whatnot. And listen, it would have been easy for her to jump to conclusions after hearing rumors floating around the royal palace about, you know, Mordecai, the, the, the crazy adopt, adoptive father of of Esther, you know, she, she could have heard some rumors and jumped to some conclusions, and, but she didn't. Listen, instead she decided to send someone that she trusted so that she could hear straight from the source. She sent a servant out to get direct information from Mordecai. Now, as we consider the way that she sought to learn more about this situation, I believe that we would all do well to follow in her footsteps. You know, rather than running to the rumor mill for an update from you know, those who love to share all the latest gossip, we do better to gather information straight from the source whenever possible. I like the way that Paul put it in 1 Timothy chapter 5. It's verse 13 where he warns Pastor Timothy about those in his church who learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Christian, listen, you know, Paul is talking about people in Timothy's church who had become busybodies and, and those who were wandering from house to house or in our day and age from app to app, you know, as they gossip about things that they heard somewhere else from those who love spreading slanderous secrets. And it's sad to say that there are many in the church today who have no problem sharing what they heard without checking the source. When it comes to our relationships here at Calvary South Austin, you know, I encourage you to realize that rumors 
can cause us to jump to incorrect conclusions about others. Therefore, rather than receiving reports from those who are gossips and busybodies, let's simply speak with those that we're concerned about. If you're truly concerned about the person who's being gossiped about, go talk to that person. Go ask them, you know, what what the deal is. Seek to better understand the reasons for maybe some disturbing decision they made or something they said. Don't just take gossip and spread it on down down the line. No, go, go talk to the source of, of where, you know, or the person that the rumor is about. That, that way you can get firsthand information rather than just the rumor mill information that is so easily spread. In the course of Mordecai, there was good reason for him to cause such a commotion there before the king's gate. And with this as the focus, let's pick up our study of Esther chapter 4. We'll begin reading at verse 7. Here we learn that Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. Uh, he also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her, and that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. So Hathak returned and told Esther the the words of Mordecai. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. Now here in these verses we find Esther responding to the disturbing news about the king's decree. And while it was Mordecai who had initially encouraged Esther to keep her Jewish lineage a secret, We now find him encouraging her to go before the king so that she could plead for her people. Yeah, he's telling Esther, it's time for you to go and plead for the lives of your people. And I just want you to think about that for a moment. Esther just learned that her husband, the king, had called for a purge of every Jew living in Persia. At the same time, she also learned that Mordecai now wanted her to go paint a target on her own back by revealing her Jewish lineage after this decree to kill all the Jews had been decreed. And finally, he was also asking her to risk her life by entering into the inner court of the king without invitation because as she approached, if he didn't extend the golden scepter, then she was dead. Simply put, Mordecai was encouraging her to go and risk her own life so that she might be used by God to save her people. Now, I have no doubt that Mordecai loved Esther as his own daughter. With that being the case, I'm also certain here that Mordecai struggled to present her with these instructions because it was very possible that he was sending her to her death. And while we can be sure that Mordecai would have gladly given his own life to save Esther's, he also realized that the Lord was calling Esther to risk her own life for the sake of her people. With this in mind, I can't help but to remember something that the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 15. 
It's there where he declares, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. I'm sure we all realize that the Lord Jesus is the one who has fulfilled this, truly. He's the one who has loved us with the greatest love. And we can rejoice in knowing that it was the love of the Lord that led him to die on the cross in our place for our sins. At the same time, those who trust in Jesus have also been called to love one another. We've been called to love others with the same sacrificial love of our Savior. This reminds me of the incredible love that Paul had for his own countrymen. It's in Romans chapter 9, verse 3, where Paul declares, I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. That's incredible. That is truly incredible. Paul was a man who loved his kinsmen so much that he was willing to forfeit his own salvation for the sake of their salvation. He's saying, hey, if I could make a switch, if I could give up my salvation for the salvation of all Israelites, I would. I'm going to be honest. I don't, I don't have that kind of love. That is an incredible love. I don't know that I would be willing to forfeit my salvation, my eternal salvation for the salvation of others. At the same time, there should be no doubt in our minds that the Lord is calling us to love others with sacrificial love. We don't have to sacrifice our salvation, thankfully. But we ought to make sacrifices in our lives so that we might help others to come to Christ. And much like Esther, who was called to accomplish her calling, in a very sacrificial sort of way. Well, every Christian should also be willing to lay down our own lives for the sake of those that the Lord came to save. And with this as the goal, I want to consider the challenge that Mordecai presented to Esther here in our text tonight. And so if you would, let's pick up our study of Esther chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. Here we learn that Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Here in these verses we find Mordecai. He's helping Esther to grasp the divine providence of God. And just to be clear, divine providence has to do with the way that God sovereignly governs over the affairs of men as he works out his will through the natural order of of his creation. And knowing that the Lord has promised to send a savior who would redeem sinners from everlasting punishment, this was a promise that God providentially presented through the prophets Mordecai then was certain that the Lord was going to raise up a deliverer who would save them from Haman. He wasn't confused about this. He knew that according to God's providential plan, according to God's prophetic promise, that the Jews were going to be saved. And yet at the same time, he also encouraged Esther to realize that the Lord was also the one who providentially placed her there in that Persian palace so that she might freely choose to be a part of God's redemptive plan. Simply put, you know, God was going to deliver those Israelites who were living in the land of Persia, and at the same time, he was also giving Esther the opportunity to choose to be a part of that plan. 
You placed her in the right place at the right time for such a time as this. And in similar fashion, the Lord is currently giving us a similar opportunity to be a part of his plan. Yeah, the, the Lord has placed us in the times and in the boundaries of our habitation so that we might seek him and, 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 and serve him and, and, and become a part of his plan. We would all do well to realize that the Lord has brought us to this very place for such a time as this. And what an incredible time it is. I truly believe that we are living in the last days, the very days that Paul wanted to live in. And, and how does the Lord want to use us in these days? How does he want to use us here in these, in these times? The question that we all ought to ask ourselves right now is this, am I ready to make the difficult decisions which will allow us to be a part of his plan of redemption for others? Sadly, the church is filled with many Christians who are making excuses for why they can't accomplish their calling. And listen, once you start making excuses, it's, it's you know, the big excuses first, and then after a few of those, then it gets easier to make smaller excuses. The next thing you know, you're not even looking for excuses anymore. It's just, just the path that you're on. And if this sounds like you, then I encourage you to realize that the Lord He's going to accomplish his perfect plan because he is the sovereign ruler over heaven and earth. He's going to accomplish his plan with or without us. But he's also given us the opportunity to be a part of it. And it's for this reason that I encourage you to set aside every excuse that, that you might make, the excuses that you use to say, oh, God, God can't use me, or, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, serving God material, or, you know, I've sinned too much, or, listen, God can use anybody. God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And so set aside the excuses and freely choose to be a part of God's providential plan. He's going to accomplish his plan, and it's better for us to simply be a part of it. With this as our goal, we must not fail to, to grasp the importance of being a, a, a part of a Christian community because that's part of God's plan. And in order to make my case, let's consider the final verses of this chapter. I want to begin reading there at verse 15 because here we learn that Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day, my maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther commanded him. Here in the final verses of this chapter, we find Esther. She's asking for spiritual support. And she asks Mordecai to go and assemble all of the Israelites living there in Shushan. More specifically, she asked them to, to, to start fasting, to fast for three days as she prepared to go before the king, knowing that she might perish. Just to be clear about this fasting, you know, she wasn't inviting all of her best girlfriends to go on a three-day fad diet. 
This wasn't some sort of juice cleanse. This wasn't some sort of three-day detox. You know, there are some people who treat biblical fasting like a, like a, like a fad diet. Fasting is not dieting. You want to diet, go for it. But don't call it fasting. Fasting is not a diet. Instead, it's, it's a way of setting aside the things of this earth to focus on the things of heaven. You see that word fast there in verse 16, it's translated from a Hebrew word, which was used of those who abstained from food for the specific purpose of seeking the Lord. In other words, the purpose of fasting was to stop focusing on the cares and the concerns of this world so that more time could be spent focusing on the things of God. And with this as the goal, there have been many biblical, you know, there are many biblical accounts of those who spent time fasting as they sought to know the will of God. For example, Moses fasted before receiving the Ten Commandments. King David fasted as he mourned the illness of his child. Elijah fasted as he fled from Jezebel, and Daniel fasted as he waited for the Lord to answer his prayer. Let's not forget that Jesus fasted for 40 days before the beginning of his earthly ministry, and the elders at the church in Antioch fasted before sending out Paul and Barnabas on their first uh, missionary journey. And this really is just a scratch on the surface of the people who abstained from food so that they could seek the will of the Lord. It's here in our text tonight where we find Esther. She's seeking spiritual support from the Jewish community there in Shushan by instructing Mordecai to go and gather them together so that they could fast and seek the Lord together before she went in before the king. Now, in light of her example, we must not fail to grasp the value of belonging to a fellowship of faith. As Esther sought all the Jews and their spiritual support in, in fasting for this, uh, for this decision, you know, it's in similar fashion that we too ought to look to one another here within our fellowship of faith to support one another as we make tough decisions in our lives. We ought to be seeking the Lord together and praying for one another. And while I'm guessing that none of us are suffering the sort of trial that Esther was facing as she went before the king, I'm also certain that we have tough trials of our own. It might not be something that, that would cause us to perish in, 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 in one fatal swoop, you know, but, but we, do, we all have tough trials. We all have tough decisions to make. And it's for this reason that we have to you know, follow in the footsteps of Esther by reaching out to our fellowship of faith seeking you know, prayer from those who care for us. It's for this reason that I encourage you to remember that the Lord Jesus has called us to plug into our Christian community, to not just be people on the fringe who barely know the people that they go to church with, but to truly be plugged in. As a matter of fact, listen, we've already seen that the Lord has called us to love one another with sacrificial love, and we see that command repeated over and over again in the Scriptures. But you might not know this, there's a whole long list of one another verses. And as we study the one another verses, we discover that we've been called to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We've been called to honor one another above ourselves. We've been called to forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven us. We've been called to serve one another in love. We've been called to carry each other's burdens. We've been called to be patient as we bear with one another in love. 
We've been called to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We've even been called to confess our trespasses to one another as we pray for one another. And this is just a scratch on the surface of all the one another verses that we find throughout the scriptures. Without debate, we've been called to become Christians who are committed to the other Christians in our community. And and I like the way that Paul put it. He sums it up best in Hebrews chapter 10. It's there where he declares, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. In light of these instructions, we should take a moment to examine our own lives by asking, am I exhorting one another? Am I considering one another all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching? Or have we been forsaking the assembly for unrighteous reasons? With these questions in mind, I just want to encourage you to remember that we've been called to become those believers who are completely committed to the rest of the Christians here within our fellowship of faith. And so we should be. And when those tough trials arise, we know that we have a, a, a family of believers that we can reach out to and say, hey, fast with me, pray with me, seek the Lord with me. I've got a tough decision before me. Will you pray with me? Will, will you counsel me? Will you support me in this time? If you don't have those brothers and sisters in Christ that you can just, with a phone call, all of a sudden you've got you know, 50 people praying for you, if that's not true of your life, it should be. It should be. And with this as the goal, I encourage you to follow in the footsteps of Esther as we seek the support of the saints here within our Christian community. And listen, as we learn how to support one another, here within our, within our fellowship of faith, I truly believe that the Lord will use insignificant believers like us to accomplish sig- sig- very significant things for our Savior and for the kingdom of God. Let's pray.